Amen. Well, welcome to all those that are visiting with us as well. Thank you for being here. And for regulars, we really appreciate you being in the house of the Lord. And we're praying that this has been a benefit for you. And uh, that's the most important thing is that you're receiving and that you're giving back appropriately. All right. We want to continue on with our study on 1 Peter. And we've been discussing this over the past few weeks. And this is uh, just a really fun study. Remember, Peter is writing this letter not to a church, but he's writing it to a scattering of people all around Asia Minor. And he's encouraging them to rejoice and stay strong in the faith, even though they're undergoing some pretty severe persecutions and pressures for being Christians. It's beginning now. The early church is moving forward. Um, Peter's getting toward the end of his ministry, 30-plus years in ministry. And the church has gone through some good times, and now some bad times are starting to come on it. People are getting persecuted more and more for their faith. And, and Peter encourages the believers, all of the believers then, and, he believe, and he's encouraging us as believers today to rejoice in the face of suffering for the good of the gospel and as a, result, as a result of such actions, we are able to look forward then to our eternal rewards that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And, and that's what we have to look forward to as we are faithful here in the life living for Christ. Peter understands suffering. He understands what it means to rejoice in the face of suffering. He has suffered immense, immensely for the gospel. He's been beaten and put in jail, and all kinds of things have happened to him personally. He's a first-hand witness and a participant to everything he's writing about, so he has all the, the authority to write this way. And we are wise, then, to listen to a man of this, of this stature and of his preaching. Last week we studied, uh, Peter was just finishing proving to the readers of the time and to us today that the foundation of faith, that he was building upon, that, that the early church was being built upon, is based on the prophets of old. In other words, this is not some new whim or new idea. This is a faith built upon years and years of prophecy, uh, hundreds of years prior to um, ever coming to pass, that these prophets of old were prophesying and were writing and were giving messages of the day that they didn't understand. We talked about that last week, how even they at the time would write it and then go back and read it and try to figure it out. What did I just write? What does it really mean? And that, take, that took great faith for them to do that, for them to write something down that they couldn't see how it would apply to them in that day, but yet to believe that it's from God that they had to write that down and deliver the message, which they would be persecuted for quite often. They took great faith from them on their behalf to do that. And it's the power of that faith that gave, it, gave that message the power because they were looking forward to events that hadn't happened yet. None of those prophets lived to see it come to pass. Recognize that. None of the prophets of old lived to see their prophecies bear out. And yet, that gives us the truth because when we see their prophecies fulfilled, it helps us build our faith on the things that are ahead of us yet that we don't see. We have many things in our life that are, that are going to happen or are in, that are happening that we don't understand. And so it's important that our faith be as strong as their faith. And when 
faith is strengthened that way, it results in salvation. That's what the Word says, that it results in salvation. Peter was one of the fortunate few to actually see what the prophets were prophesying about. He saw it firsthand. He, he was a participant of the, in the life of Jesus. He saw Jesus go through his life's ministry. He saw Jesus suffer. He saw Jesus die. And he saw Jesus being resurrected from the dead. And he saw that. And now Peter is passing on the torch. He's basically saying, all right, guys, I've seen it. I've been there. I've, I've been through all this. But, it's, but you need to know that for you that are moving forward from here that didn't have the opportunity to see what I saw, you understand that your faith that gives you the ability to believe strongly the way I'm believing because I've seen it, to you, it's going to be even more precious and it's going to be even more beneficial because your faith is going to be glorious and inexpressible. He says that in, in verse 8 and 9 of last week that we read and it says, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, an inexpressible, I mean, a, and a glorious joy that you just can't even begin to explain. Have you had things happen in your life that no matter what you say, you just can't find the words to explain it? Yeah, that's the kind of joy, that's the kind of rejoicing that we will have in this faith because that faith... Because of it, we are receiving the end result, which is the salvation of your soul. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That faith could be so evidently strong in my life that I could be so overwhelmed by it because it's given me salvation with an eternal reward that will neither perish, spoil, or fade. And now Peter continues his discussion. He's changing the tone a bit here as we're going to move on beginning at verse 13. He's changing the tone a bit here and now he's moving to instruction for us on how are we to follow and live our lives in order to receive the salvation that we're being presented with. So open your Bible with me. 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 13 and we're going to read through 16. Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. And we ask you to enlighten our hearts and our minds to hear and speak what you would have us to say and hear today. Lord, help us to glean from your word the mighty power of it that we need to have, live a life of freedom and a life of victory today. Help us, Father. Set us free in what you would have us to know today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Peter says that we are to, therefore... Prepare for action. <laughs> action. That's a big word. Because we know that we have a solid foundation to build upon, we are to get ready and take action and step out on the foundation. What's the point of having a strong foundation if you don't build something on it? A foundation is only good for what comes upon it. A foundation in itself is boring. Seriously. You don't go and build a great big house and say, hey, come look at my foundation. 
But you certainly want a good foundation under the house, right? Because you don't want a cracked wall later because you didn't have a good foundation. So even though foundations aren't something you get excited about, it's like when I was selling in the automotive industry, um, I would sell on the engine plants and the transmission plants. I'd call on them, and the engine guys always were proud of their engines. You know, these, you know the, the motor heads here. You always like to brag about your engine. But how many of you ever bragged about your transmission? And the transmission guys always felt a little bit slighted over that. Here they work just as hard building a transmission, and quite honestly, a transmission is an amazing piece of m- uh, machinery, how it works. But because it's in the bowels of the car and nobody sees it, it's boring. They want to talk about the engine. All right? Well, we're talking about our foundation today. And our foundation, I need to have a solid foundation. And that's what Peter has just been talking about. He's been talking about the foundation that that our salvation is built on is solid. And now that I have an understanding of that, If I'm going to be an effective Christian, I need to build on that foundation, and now I need to take some action about it, and I need to move on. So the next number of verses here are all talking about how we move on and build on a foundation. We're going to stress about being holy, that we need to be holy as we put our action in place. So the name of this sermon would be Holy Action. Holy Action. We need to be active, but we need to be holy in it. In the context of the times that Peter's writing in, the original recipients of this letter, they would have gotten the image here of literally these guys. Remember, these guys don't dress like we dress right now in American clothes. They had robes and they had undergarments and they had all kinds of stuff that that we don't wear today, thank goodness. But they did. And so for them, uh, when it says get ready for actions, prepare yourself for actions. Literally, they are, they are pulling up their long flowing outer garments and they're wrapping them around their waist and they're getting ready to, for action. They're getting ready to run the race. They're getting ready to do something. So this is a, a word picture for them as well. In a commentary on this particular passage, it says that uh, this is significant because many people consider holiness. Now, we're, gonna talk, we're talking about holiness now for a while, not action. We'll come back to action later, but right now we're talking about holiness. This is significant because many people consider holiness as a passive mindset, an attitude that seeks to avoid difficult things. While holiness does involve personal restraint and self-control in many areas of life, it also involves positive action. Being holy means to be set apart from ungodliness, but it also conveys the idea of active pursuit and freedom to fulfill God's highest purposes for one's life. So this is an encouragement for us today to be holy. To be holy, and we're going to talk about what holiness is, but we're going to talk about holy um, all times in our life, not just holy here at church when it's easy. It's easy to be holy amongst a bunch of holy people. It's easy to be holy and to act holy in church, but we need to look at how we apply holiness to our lives at home with our family. Come on. At home with our wives and our children, or at school with our friends, or at work amongst our co-workers, or here's even a more important one, or in our secret thought lives. We're to be holy in all aspects of our life if we're going to have this be effective, if we're going to actively build on a foundation that we've been talking about, holiness needs to set us apart from all of the trappings of this world. 
whether they're in the physical things or in the mental things, holiness must be evident in our lives. Verse 14 and 16 says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. Not just the little things. Not just when you're in church around holy church people, be holy. No, we are to be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy. Repeat it with me. Because what? Because I am holy. So we're to be holy because God the Father is holy. And if we're going to have a relationship with a holy Father, that must mean we must have to be holy. And we're going to talk much more about what holiness is. Holiness, I'll tell you right now, I'll take the pressure off you. Holiness is not perfection. Okay, just so you know. Because otherwise you'll check out of here and you'll think, well, no, this is too spiritual for me. I'm not perfect, therefore I'm going to check out. No, I don't want you to check out. I want you to be every, every attentive here because holiness is something that we all can attain to. In fact, you must attain to holiness. If we're going to see our Father in heaven someday, we must attain to this. So this is important. Peter says, we are not to conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Ignorance, that's a bad word. You know, the saying is, ignorance is bliss. Well, it's not true. <laughs> I will tell you right now that um, ignorance for the American society, for everyone sitting in this church or any church in this country or really in this country at all, ignorance is not an excuse before the Lord because we all know better. We've all known, we've all heard the word enough to know right from wrong. So ignorance is not an excuse. I cannot say that I didn't know I shouldn't have done that. Or I, I can't say that I didn't know that was expected of me. No, we don't have the excuse. So let's not, let's open our minds. Let's not close our minds to say, no, I don't want to listen to this message. No, you need to listen to all the messages because it is giving us good instructions. Turn with, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Here Paul is giving a very similar theme, urging the Romans to the same, of the same mandate of holiness. This is a common theme throughout all Scripture, by the way. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, again, the, he uses that word therefore. We should almost go back and read chapter 11 and before. But therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Verse 2, do not conform. Two different writers, Paul saying it, Peter saying it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his perfect, good, pleasing, and perfect will. A good definition of holy living is living according to God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Just live according to God's will. How do we find that place? How do we find that place in our lives? Well, number one, we start by offering our daily fleshly desires. You know the things that you would like to get into that give you a thrill. The things that would give you pleasure the sensual pleasures, we need to begin by taking those, if they're not lining up with God's will, and sacrificing them. 
and declaring that they're not good to do. Recognize the things that you know are good. Do the things you know are good. The things you know are not good, don't do them. (laughs) It's really simple. We make it way too complicated. When I know that this is a wrong thing to do and I still do it, I am not holy. But I know when I know the right thing to do and I do it, that is a step towards holiness. So let's just not play games with ourselves and justify our desires and sensual desires and and try to figure, well, I can maybe find a gray area here that I can do this. Why would you spend the energy to do that? Just do the simple things if you really want to be pleasing to the Lord. And just when you see something that's right and something that's wrong, do the right thing and don't do the wrong thing. I don't know that we can make it any simpler than that because in all honesty, if you're going to please people, if you love your wife or your spouse or your husband, aren't you going to do the things that would please them to the best that you can? Yeah. Are you intentionally going to do things that's going to hurt your loved one? Not if you really love them. Not if you really love them. You might slip up, and you're probably going to slip up, and for them, uh, there's grace there, I'm, I'm hoping. But in all, in all honesty, we do the things to please the ones that we love. It's the same thing about with God, that we would be holy. That means we're doing the things that would make him happy. When I recognize the ultimate price that Jesus paid on the cross for me, and that price gives me a holy, uh, uh, the ability to establish a relationship with the Holy Father. When I recognize that, how can I call myself a Christian and still purposely and intentionally do the things that would hurt that relationship? I mean, let's just call common sense common sense. We don't, get, we don't need to be spiritual here. Let's just be common sense. If I know, if I can recognize what Jesus did for me, why would I want to give in to my sensual desires and hurt that relationship? Amen. Agree with me, please. Because it makes a lot of sense. Amen? Yeah, let's not argue over this one. This is a good one that we can just say, let's do it. So the question that we have is, do we really appreciate it? Are we really doing it? Is our relationship with Jesus that important to us? Is your relationship with Jesus that much, that important that you would cherish that and you would protect that? And if you don't, if you're struggling in this area, then I would encourage you to go back and and inspect your own relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's not as real as you think it is. Or maybe it was yesterday's experience. See, we need to keep it alive today. We need to keep it relevant today. We need to keep it in today's vernacular. See, if I'm not doing this, if I'm not keeping this relationship truly as the center point of my life, if I'm not, if I'm not keeping that perspective as the center point of who I am all the time, then what I'm really doing is that I'm breaking the first commandment because I'm making an idol that I'm putting above God. I'm true, it's just simplified for what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm creating idols in my life. And obviously, according to Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, we are not to have any other gods before him. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, 
punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Do you see here how God looks at our relationships? Do you see the importance and the the priority that he establishes on that as that we would make him our first priority? How do we do that? Well, let's go back to Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Conform sounds much like form. (laughs) These verses kind of come together here. We're just told not to form any kind of an image that would take the place of worshiping God, right? So now we are not to conform, conform to a worldly passion either. We're not to form our own idols and we're not to conform to the world's idols. We're to be set apart and called holiness. We're to be set apart from that. We're not to form our own, our own nor are we to conform. But we are to be transformed from this world by the renewing of our mind. By the renewing of our mind. And this is not just a simple play on words, okay? This just doesn't sound good. This is real. This is a real and a direct command that if we are to be holy and living a holy and pleasing life before God, then we are to take control of some things in our life, take control over those things in our mind that would not, that would not make us holy or would take us off that path of holiness. It's pretty clear when we just read God's Word and try to, try to understand it. Then keep it real simple. If you're struggling with things that are not holy, meaning that there are things in your life that you're doing that are not pleasing to God, then simply stop it. <laughs> stop doing it. Don't justify your behavior and convince yourself you're okay. Just see yourself for what it is. You're conforming to the pattern of the world because that's what the world does. The world just does it. That Nike thing, just do it. That might, work, that might work good for some things, but in a lot of things it doesn't. Just do it says you better stop and think about it before you do it and know what's coming second, what's coming after that. Here's a simple test, a simple litmus test for you to put in your life. If you're looking at something on the computer, can your spouse watch it with you? If you're talking to someone at work or play, is there anyone you wouldn't want to be listening to your conversation? If you're eating or drinking something and socializing somewhere, is there anyone that you don't want to see you doing that? (laughs) If you're daydreaming about something, is it something that you would share with everyone? You see, if, if there's anything here that you're trying to get away with, that you're trying to hide, you're trying to justify, you're trying to do where, you're trying to wiggle your way around things, let me just tell you one thing. That the judge of all eternity, God our Father, There is nothing hidden from him. You can hide things from me and be really good at it, and I don't have a clue. But you'll never hide anything from God. So, again, simply taking God's word for what it is, don't play games with him. Don't even go there, because if you're thinking you're having this little secret thought that nobody knows about, understand all of heaven is looking at it. (laughs) There's no secrets here. God says, I see that secret thought, Mike. You're not getting away with it. 
I see what you're watching on the computer. I see what you're eating and drinking and doing. I, see what, I hear what you're saying. I hear the jokes. I hear it all. So rather than play the game of how we can sneak our way around life, and when we do that, recognize what that does, that brings a lot of guilt. It brings a lot of looking over your shoulder. Yeah, I, I, it just, it's so freeing when you can come to a, a revelation knowledge of God's purpose in your life to just say, no, thank you, I don't do that anymore. And I can remember, and I've used this example before, I can remember when I was selling automotive stuff and I would go to the guys and I would entertain with, with customers and it was my job to do that. And I would go into a bar situation or a dinner situation or a golf course situation and the guys would be time to order their drinks and, I, would, I, and I, I came to an early conclusion that it was better for me, rather than looking around, anybody going to see me here? Oh, man, I hope nobody can, okay. All right, I can order one, nobody's going to see me. Rather than me playing that crazy little stupid game, I just learned to say, no, thank you. I don't need it, and I don't want it. And I would have them, I would buy theirs, I, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but I was doing my job, and they would drink, and I would just have my water or soda or whatever, and I had a great time, and I never felt guilty over that. I never walked out of that place thinking, man, did anybody see me here? I didn't have to worry about that. Now, I didn't do everything perfect. I'll tell you that right now. I made other mistakes that I'm guilty over. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, but I'm forgiven. Amen. Thank the Lord for that. But I didn't, but I just came to learn that. So I would encourage us all that when you can see the simple things in life, just make it simple. And I will, I will assure you, that you may get, people might look at you cross-eyed maybe. They may look at you a little bit funny. But in, down deep inside, they're respecting you for your stance. They're respecting you for somebody that can take a stand on something. And you're not telling them that they shouldn't drink. Even though if they would have asked me, I would have said it. But they didn't ask me, so I didn't tell them. I was just living my life in front of them. And there were plenty of opportunities later when it was by myself with them over other situations. And they would say, hey, what's different about you? And then I had an opportunity to share Christ. Amen? That's what it's about. So anyway, we're to be transformed. How do I get transformed? You know these little toys, those transformers? They're cool, man. You got a transformer, Grant? You probably have transformers, don't you? Yeah, they're cool, man. And they, 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 and they transform and they become a truck turns into a building or a person turns into a car. I mean, it's cool. But how are we to transform our mind We're to transform it by the fact that we're to get into God's Word and read it. We're to get in and understand what it is that we're to, instead of conforming to the world, we are to transform our value system and transform our lifestyle and our minds in a continual process. It's not a one-time, it's not a uh, one-size-fits-all strategy, is it? We've been talking about it in Sunday school. Janine's been doing an awesome job teaching us what it is to transform our mind and how to change our thought process. And we're to do this by getting into God's Word and to filling our minds with the things that are shaping us into the mindset of God. We've got to take our mindset of the flesh, our mindset of fallen man, and transform it into the mind of God. And we do that one way, and that is reading His Word. This is very serious because how can you be pleasing to God when you don't know what you're supposed to be doing to be pleasing to God? And you can't get enough out of it on Sunday mornings. I cannot tell you enough, nor should I think I can tell you enough. It is your responsibility to get into your Bible and to have the Holy Spirit's power reveal to you what the Holy Word is telling you on how you live in your particular situations. 
You don't have the time to say, wait, let me call my pastor. Wait, let me call my teacher. No, you have to make those decisions yourself. And the only way you can do that is if you get into God's Word and study it for yourself and apply it. Amen. I'll say amen to that. So, we need to do that. We need to get into an understanding of God's Word. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate on it. And then we need to take action on it. We need to apply it in our life. It's like putting together a very complicated machine. How many men here like to put together stuff? How many of you read the instructions? (laughs) I'm telling you what. I know what you're thinking. Because I've been there. Haven't I, Chris? I've done things. I've put together things and ended up with things left over. I'm thinking, well, that, they, must have given me some, they must have given me spare parts. No, they didn't give me spare parts. You didn't read the instructions. And I would have, if I'm, you would think you would learn over time. To, don't even go there. Just read the instruction manual, guys. I'm telling you, it's not going to reduce your manhood by reading the instruction manual. But when you read it, it will make you so much more efficient in the process. That's right. Bible. Basic instruction before leaving earth. Bible. B-I-B-L-E. You're, you're right on. You're tracking with me, Sparky. That's exactly what I'm, that's where I'm going with this one. Because how in the world do we continue, or how do you expect to put together this compli- complicated puzzle called life without reading the instruction manual? See, if I, if I have a problem with this bicycle that I'm putting together and I'm not getting it right, I can't cuss at Schwinn. It's not their problem that I didn't read the instruction manual. No, they gave me all the parts. I just didn't read it. So I can't get mad at them. I have to take the responsibility on myself. And that's the same thing that's going to happen, guys. Listen, there's going to come a day when we're all going to stand before God. And he's going to say, what did you do with my son? Number one, what did you do with Jesus? Then number two, what did you do with my word? Yeah. And we can't say, well, we thought we could do it on our own. It's not going to pass. Let's just recognize right now, let's just get into God's Word on a daily basis. Let's use it to transform our mind, to get our mindset out of the fleshly mindset, get it into the spiritual mindset so we can be like Christ. Philippians chapter 2. You can go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 at home if you have it on your sheet, but I'm going to skip down. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. In your relationship with one, with, with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, what would Jesus' mindset be like? His mindset would be similar to, I'm going to put your needs above mine. I'm going to serve you over the, rather than you serve me. And you can read God's Word to find out the rest of God's mindset or Jesus' mindset. But we are to have that. How do I get the mindset of Christ? I get it only by reading his word. I don't get it by reading um, Muhammad's words or Buddha's words or even Dr. Phil's words. I'm not saying that Dr. Phil and some of these guys aren't good people. I'm just saying they're not God's words. We get, our, we get God's mindset by reading God's word and God's word alone. It doesn't mean you can't read a good book, but don't go to the book, don't go to that author as Anything priority over God's Word. We must focus on God's Word. Conforming our minds to the mind of Christ comes only through reading, studying, and meditating, and then putting action to the Word of God. 
and applying it. John, John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Yeah. By holding to the teachings of Christ. Now, let's talk about action. Let's talk about action. Knowing godly truth is vitally important. But if there's no action associated with it, what good is it? It's like building that foundation and not building the house. If we can know, we can know God's word, but if we're not acting on it, if we're not applying it, if we're not putting action with it, it's no good to us. You'll go to hell knowing all the things you should have done. You'll go to hell knowing that you, what, you've, what you missed. Actually, that would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? Could you imagine sitting in hell knowing that you knew all the right answers and you never applied them? I knew it all. I never acted on it. Man, talk about regret. Talk about having a bad day. We know what the Apostle James' position with faith and action was. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. Remember, they don't have any clothes and they don't have any food. But you say, keep warm and be well fed. But you do nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. We must put action to our holiness. We must have holy action. The goal of holiness is preparing oneself for active service. Holiness is not the end result. Holiness is a preparation for service. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. In a large house there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. It's those items that we make holy are the things that are prepared for action. See, God sees a holy person. He's the one ready to do the work of helping others and to help make others holy. A holy person isn't an old man with, with a long gray beard sitting Indian style or cross-legged on the top of a mountain. That's not a holy man. A holy person is a person that is active in the kingdom, busy about his father's work, winning and discipling others for Christ. That's a holy man. That's a holy man. It's been a man that's prepared for action, that's doing something, not just sitting at the top of the mountain waiting for somebody to come up and ask him, Oh, holy one, what should I do? No, it's nonsense. Paul described in, in the fivefold ministry gifts that Jesus gave to the church, he, he, he said it this way in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 11 and 12. So Christ gave himself the, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. To do what? To equip or prepare his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It was not God's plan 
for all the pastors and the evangelists and the teachers and the prophets to do all the work. No, his plan was they were only to prepare all of us to do the work. You are being prepared to work in the kingdom. My job as a pastor is not to do your work. My job is to equip you and to prepare you and to encourage you to go out into the world and do the things that are necessary to do. Now, I really liked our class today. Janine was talking about um, doing and working and talking about fellowshipping. And sometimes we put the cart before the horse. I'm not saying, suggesting here that we spend all of our time doing, doing, doing for the sake of doing, but I'm suggesting that we take the time to fellowship in relationship with God and people, and as we're fellowshipping and, 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 and being obedient in that area, we will find ourselves doing the things that are pleasing them. We will find ourselves doing the work as we focus properly on the relationship we are to have with God first. We have the relationship with first, and then we do second. If I'm doing first and then work on the relationship second, I'm doing it for my benefit, not for his. Because I'm trying to earn something that I can't earn on my own anyways. So focus on the relationship. Focus on the holy part. But then don't be afraid to do with it. And when you're doing things, here's the amazing part and the fun, the best part of it all is that many times, we talked about it, many times you're fixing while you're fellowshipping and you don't even know you're doing it. That's really cool when you are doing something for people and you're fixing their problems and all you're doing is talking to them. You're just fellowshipping with them. You're having lunch with them, right, Rip? You have, and how you talk with men. And sometimes in your discussions with them, you're answering questions. They're not, they're not even asking because you're just talking what the Spirit puts in your mind and you're speaking to them and you're reading their mail and they don't even know it. That's awesome. That's prophetic. That's what we need to be. As we are Holy Spirit-filled people, we are just to operate that way and let the Spirit speak through us and work through us in our holiness because He's made us holy. We're prepared now to do the work of a holy man or a holy woman. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Wow. Jackie, would you come? It's time to conclude. Somebody say amen. <laughs> so we need, to, we need to focus on today on the responsibilities that we have to be holy and active in the church. And you know what's fun about this is that it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be boring. It doesn't have to be cumbersome and it doesn't have to be heavy. Really what it is, is just call, it's just focusing on relationship with Jesus. When I can just put him so high in my list that he can be so high above everything else in my life that I just truly keep him at the center point of my life. And what that means is that all my day, I'm always cognizant of the fact that he's with me, that I'm never in a place where he's not. I'm never hiding from him. I'm never doing anything that would be unpleasant to him. I'm just constantly being Mike. I'm being my, who I am and my, and my man, but I'm also recognizing that I'm a child of God I'm a child of Jesus. Jesus is my brother. He's my joint heir. He's my savior. He's my provider. He's my provision. He's my all in all. And I just want to do the things that please him. And I just walk my life that way. And I'm praying in the spirit most of the time when my mind is empty. I'm not allowing my mind to go places it shouldn't go. I'm just and I'm just worshiping in him and I'm praising him and I'm praying in my spirit and I'm praying in my language. I pray in my intelligence and I pray in my spirit. I pray both ways. And I just keep myself holy before him. 
It's fun. It's enlightening. It's easy. It's something that will give us peace and joy and will give you an inheritance that will never spoil or perish or fade away as we just rejoice in who he is. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Father, we just come before you today and we just give ourselves to you. Lord, we just surrender our hearts and lives to you. Lord, make us holy, active people. Give us holy action today that we would go into this world and we'd be saying, Father, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to today? What do you want me to do? Prepare me. Make me holy. I declare myself righteous before you because of the blood of Christ. And now I'm ready for action. I'm ready to do something to please you today. I praise your name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing the song that Jackie's playing as a time that we can just declare our surrendering to Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father. Amen. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you, and we do surrender to you. Lord, this song just said it perfectly. We just lay our life down before you, and we just pick up your cross, and we walk with you, enduring your pain, but at the same time, Lord, rewarding and, and, and gloriously, inexpressibly telling you how thankful we are for what you have for, done for us. Give us a great day today as we go to our homes. Let us take this message with us today and apply it and read of you and learn more of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go before the Lord today.